Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll be there for a little bit today. Uh, We all like, probably, I don't know if we all like them, but many people uh, like the, the online personality tests. What movie star are you most like? What superhero uh, are you like? Or what superpower might you have if you were a superhero? Well, what historical figure are you most like? And, and you see those, those things pop up, those tests, uh, links to those tests, ways that you can, you can go through this. I, I've never taken one and I thought, that's right. Um, you may be the same. But we have this, we have this I won't say obsession, but we have this deep desire to know ourselves. And, and there's a bit of that, that that maybe we might be able to say sometimes that can be very self-centered. Uh, but there's also an element of that that is God-given. That God wants us to know who we are. God wants us to know who we are without Christ. But God also wants his followers to know who they are in Christ. And so today, I would like for us, as we're going a little further into our series on revival, I want us to look at the idea of knowing who we are. Now, if you are not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ as of yet, or maybe you're joining us online and you might say, I I am not a follower of Christ, but I would like to know what that means. I would like to know what that's about. Well, this morning, you will hear. If you are a follower of Christ... I want you to understand that based upon what the Bible says, these things that we're talking about today, these characteristics, are characteristics that every single one of us share because we are followers of Christ. If you don't have these things, it means you're not a follower of Christ. You may say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I I don't have that. Well, if you truly do not have that, you're not a follower of Christ. You may be a follower of Christ in name. But followers of Christ, biblically speaking, these are some things, not an exhaustive list, but these are some things that we know that a follower of Christ has. And let me go ahead and say, why are we talking about this this morning? Well, because we're talking about revival. And we've sort of given a working working definition of revival. Revival is a special God-given awareness of his presence among his people. It's a special God-given awareness of his presence among his people. That's the idea of revival. And we've also said that that revival starts in individuals. It starts in individual lives, in individual hearts, and then it goes from there. So I can promise you this. If these things that are in your life as a follower of Christ, if these things are things that you know, and that you are living by, and that you are embracing, it's hard for me to believe that a person would not experience that deeper awareness of God. And so this morning, let's just jump in. We'll start with chapter 8 of Romans, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The first thing that we find as we're looking at this passage is that if you are a follower of Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ. The very righteousness of Christ is given to you if you are a follower of Jesus. What does righteousness mean? It means the perfect right standing before God. Now, I know some people would say, but wait, I don't live that way. I don't live perfectly. How can I have the perfect right standing before God if I myself do not live that way, if I am not perfect? Because it's not your perfection that you have in and of yourself. It is a perfection that was given to you by Jesus himself. It is his right standing. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation that awaits. Now we look at this and we say, that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. I've had a person tell me at one point in time, they said, well, that means that people just get off scot-free. No, Jesus paid that price. I had a gentleman tell me one time that he would not receive Christ because nobody is going to pay his bill, he said. I said, sir, you, you must let Jesus pay that debt because to pay it yourself will mean an eternity separated from God. And his response was, I would rather do that than be, be indebted to someone. And as far as I know, that man left this earth not knowing Christ, destined to forever pay for his sins in hell away from God. That's serious stuff. But God gives us the righteousness of his son himself. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, so that in him, made him to be sin, I'm sorry, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took all the penalty, all the punishment, all the wrath that was deserved by us, and he put it upon his son and then gave us the righteousness of Jesus himself so that in Christ we have right standing before God. We are declared not guilty. Biblically speaking, we are justified. That's the idea. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been declared not guilty by Jesus. By the blood of Christ, we are declared not guilty. Where is it that you wrestle with guilt? Now I realize there is true judicial guilt. We've done things that are wrong, and we stand before God, and that must be made right. Sure. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the subjective feeling of guilt. You know that thing where you've asked for forgiveness again and again and again and again for the same thing? For one incident, and you just keep asking for forgiveness again and again and again and again. Can I, can I give you a suggestion? If you're wrestling with that, because the Bible says if you truly repent, you're forgiven. Can I give you a suggestion? Put something else on the end of that prayer. Whenever you pray and you say, God, please forgive me for this sin. 
please forgive me, name the sin, tell God, God, forgive me for this sin, and then say, thank you for forgiving me based upon what your word says. Thank you that I'm justified. Thank you that you forgive. Thank you. Because so many times we don't think about what God's word says, that whenever he says he will forgive, he truly will forgive. Now, I realize that sometimes we want to act like we are the Holy Spirit, and someone will ask God for forgiveness, and then a person will try to make you jump through all the hoops of forgiveness. Say you're sorry again. Say you're sorry again. Say it like you mean it. You have to hurt enough. You have to be sorrowful enough. You have to cry enough. You have to do that. Can I just tell you, that's not of God, all right? Now, we should make things right with each other, but to just hold someone over the flames, that's just torturing. That's not, that's not extending grace. So we have been justified. We have been declared righteous in Christ. Look at Colossians 1.22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That's us. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How would your life be different if you lived your life believing, knowing that in God's eyes, you are holy you are blameless and you are above reproach. That's what the Bible says. You're holy, blameless, and above reproach. And so whenever we understand that, things will change. This, let me tell you what it means. It means that you won't be motivated by guilt anymore. Someone comes to you and they try to lay a guilt trip on you. And you, you you'll be able to say, I'm, I'm free of that. Oh, they may want to say, oh, no, 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 but you just wait. No, but they're not God. You have the right standing of Jesus himself. You have been, hang with me, you have been declared righteous by the holy, supreme Lord God, King of the universe. And if he says, in Christ, you are righteous, who are we? to argue with him because so many times we are the ones that say oh but I don't deserve it well that's a given none of us do that's why it's grace we understand that but we have been declared righteous we no longer have to be motivated by guilt we no longer have to be held captive to guilt we no longer have to be held captive to shame because God has declared us righteous in Christ. So we have the righteousness of Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the life of Christ. Not just the righteousness of Christ, but the very life of Christ. Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is, our daily course of our life is by the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on, flesh, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul writes and says there are two very distinctive ways to live. We are living by the Spirit of God, or we are living according to the flesh, the worldly, fleshly ways. And we all have, even as followers of Christ, we all have that part of us, that unredeemed part of us, the habits of who we once were. We understand 
that biblically the old person that we were dies and we are a new person in Christ. Sometimes people will say, well, I have these two natures fighting each other. No, biblically, that's not true. You have who you were and then in Christ, you have who you are. What we battle are the habits of who we were. Because who we were, according to the Bible, has been crucified, is dead. But it's the habits of who we are, who we were. Those still linger. That's called the flesh. And that's what we battle. Because there's that part of us that remembers who we once were. Even though God sees us as a new creation, there are the habits, the wheel ruts, the grooves, the ways, the lifestyle that we still want to run back to. But if we're followers of Jesus... We have the life of Christ. We're living by his spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, verse 5, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We have the life of Christ. That means we can have the mind of Christ. We can have the heart of Christ. We can live our life for the glory of Christ. How can we do that? We say, I can't, I can't do that. I, I fall, I fail so many times. Can I tell you what our mistake usually is? We make the mistake of living a life in Christ for living a moral life. We replace being transformed by just being moral. Instead of God saying, when God says, I want you to be sanctified, I want you to be set apart, we settle for being sanitized. I just want to look good. I just want to be clean enough. I just don't want to, I don't want to create a big stir, but I just want to be nice enough that I seem okay. The Bible never speaks to living with morality. No, the Bible talks about living by the spirit, having the spirit of God actually change us and transform us. It's not a matter of morality. It's not a matter of legalism. It's a matter of living the life of Christ. How do we do that? We allow Christ to live through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations compels us. Because we have all concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he, that's Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Because we have life in Christ, you know what that means? We're not living our own lives. We're not living for ourselves. We're not living to make things happen. We're not living to, to build a worldly empire. We're not living to build our own worldly kingdom. We're not, we're not working in order to, to, to build some sort of earthly legacy. That's not who we're living for. We're no longer living for ourselves. It's been said that a man or a woman wrapped up in themselves is a very small gift. And it's true. We live our lives for Christ. And we, may no, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. And not only do we live for him, as I just mentioned earlier, and as we sang earlier, he lives through us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Pay attention to that. I have been crucified with Christ. The old me who I once was before Christ has been crucified. When? On the cross with Christ. Christ. The old you is dead. That'd be a good place for some of us to say amen. 
The old, the old you is dead. And now there's a new creation. So we have been crucified with Christ. But then you have the rest of this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the old me is dead, died when Christ was crucified. The old person that I was is dead on the cross. And now the new person that I am is a new person because Jesus himself is living in me. Jesus himself, if you're a follower of Christ, is living in you. So if that's the case, we have the rest of Galatians 2.20. And the life I now live in the flesh, that is, I live in my earthly body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do I live my life? I live my life by allowing Jesus to live his life through me. Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above. If you're a follower of Christ and if you've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, we are to seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are to set our minds on the things that are above, not the things on the earth. I think too many of us love the earth and love the world way too much. Now, no, we said, but, but, but it says God so loved the world. Yes, he's talking about lost humanity and God does love his creation. But we become so enamored with the things of the earth and the things of the world and the systems of the world and the systems of the earth and think that they are going to be the things that are going to save us, that are going to transform the world, that's going to bring Eden back. And can I just tell you, they will not. The best of human thinking, the best of human governments, the best of human systems will not, will not, will not build the kingdom of God. It takes the spirit of God in order to do that. And so when we understand that, then we understand, I'm not living my own life. I'm not living for me. I'm living for Christ because Christ is in me and Christ is living through me. Verse three of Colossians three, for you have died, past tense again, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, who is your life? Don't miss this. Christ, who is your life? life. It doesn't say when Christ appears, your life will. No, Christ who is your life. Jesus is your life. It's not just Jesus marks your life. Jesus does a few things in your life. Jesus makes you a better person than you were as some sort of life coach to come alongside you. Jesus improves your social standing. Jesus increases your abilities on earth to, to do good things. No, no, no. Those are all, that's all sorry little comparisons compared to looking at what the Bible says. Christ who is your life. Jesus is not one who just comes into your life to do stuff. He is life itself for those who follow him. Without him, there is spiritual death. Jesus is life. And so when we understand that, we know verse four of Colossians three, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Can I just tell you what this means? 
You're not stuck in your life. Can I just say this? You're not stuck in your life. How many of us have felt at time from time to time? Well, I'm just stuck. You're not stuck. You think Jesus is stuck? Is Jesus wringing his hands? I don't know what to do next. Is Jesus saying, I don't know how to do this? Is Jesus saying, oh, there are some things that came up that are, that are opposing my work. Oh no, what am I going to do? Is Jesus saying, oh, there are all these complainers in my life and they're just, they're just sapping the life? No, no. Jesus is not stuck. And if Jesus is your life, you're not stuck either because it's not your life. It's his life in you. You are just as free as Jesus is so far as living life. Now, I know we say, well, wait, 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 I've got, I got sin. Yeah, we're being set free, right? There's that old saying that we have been set free in Christ from the penalty of sin. We are being set free from the power of sin. And one day we will be set free from the presence of sin altogether. So right now, we're free of the penalty. We haven't reached the point where we're free of the presence, but we are being freed of the power of sin day by day as we live our life for Christ. How can we do that? What brings us to our next point? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's presence within you. You have God's presence within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. He is not a force. He is not a principle. He is a person. He is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So he is God. So we, we do not refer the Holy Spirit as an it. He is God, and he is living in us. You have God's presence within you. Look at verse 9 of Romans. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We now have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. God himself living within us. What does that mean for us? Well, let me give you one example. In the Old Testament, the, the presence of God would settle down in the tabernacle, in that tent of worship in the wilderness. And we find that when Solomon dedicates his temple and he prays that God's presence fills the temple, so much so that the priests had to run out of the temple. They couldn't even stay there in the temple because of the overwhelming presence of God. The presence of God we find in the Bible is the, the glory of God that Moses was asking for on Mount Sinai. And God said, Moses, you don't know what you're asking for, buddy. This is a bad thing. You can't look on the fullness of my splendor and live. You'll be consumed by it. So we find the presence of God mentioned all throughout the Bible. But specifically, we find when we talk about the tabernacle, we talk about the temple, or when Moses worshipped him on the mountain, God was there. So therefore, it was a place of worship. Can I just tell you? Because the Holy Spirit resides in every follower of Christ, that means we 
are the temple. That means the Holy Spirit of God lives within each of us. The same presence that filled the tabernacle, the same presence that filled the temple, the same presence that was there with Moses on Mount Sinai is the same presence that now lives within each follower of Christ. Now, I know that seems shocking, but this is what the Bible tells us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I've heard people tell me sometimes, they're like, well, you know, my body is a temple. And my question is always this, so who's worshiping there? I'm just saying. And usually people mean it in the sense of my body's a temple, so therefore I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat right, because you know my body is a temple. Okay, well, you, you can treat your body that way and call it a temple, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you, uh, so, somebody's going to be worshiping in your, the temple of your body. Okay? It doesn't become a temple just because the Holy Spirit is there. It becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is there. But we're all going to worship somebody or something with our bodies. And the Bible is clear. It is to be the temple of the Holy Spirit because we don't have a choice because we are followers of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? That means you, you are the place of worship. That means you are the place of worship because you're the temple of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Jesus is in you. That means you're never, ever, ever alone. Ever. If you're a follower of Christ, you're never alone. God is with you. God is with you. And he he enjoys, can I, get, can I give you this? This is going to shock some of you. God enjoys your company because you're his kid. Now I know we say, oh, now we're getting all touchy-feely. Okay, no. God wants you to be in his presence because you are his child and now you bear the righteousness of his son and he wants you to abide with him. We have to understand when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, it is not just a matter of we have access to God. God has access to us. God now has access to every area of our life to live through us because now we are not our own. We were bought at a price. Therefore, we glorify God with our bodies, which are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a follower of Christ, you have God's presence in you. I, I, wish, I wish I could sit down with each one of you and just talk to you face-to-face about this and just tell you do, you, do you realize when you understand and you know God's presence living in you, do you realize how that changes everything? Everything. Do you really think if when you know that God's Holy Spirit is truly living within you and you know that you are in the center of God's will, do you really think you get very concerned when someone else wants to complain about what you're doing in the will of God? No, you don't. 
because it don't matter. Because if you're doing the will of God, you can please God and you can forget the rest. And I know I've had conversations with some of you, you know, over the years that I've been here. I've had conversations at my last church over the years. You know, I had someone come to me one time and throw a fit about something at one of the churches I served at. Threw a fit, wanted to get angry. I knew I was in the center of God's will. They got really angry and I just looked at them and I said, people are dying and going to hell. I don't have time to talk to you about this. And they got really offended. But it's true. People are dying and going to hell. And we focus and major on the minors, and then we miss the whole idea of the presence of God. Completely. Completely. Because we're so focused on this and that and our preferences and stylistic differences. And I didn't like the way you said that. And you should have done that. And you should have done that. Can I just tell you something in a loving, spirit-filled way? Get over it. Okay? Get over it. Because it, you need to get over it. Understand what I'm saying. You need to get over it because on the other side of that is the presence of God. And it's keeping you from seeing him clearly. Get over it so you can see him. Get past it. Get around it. Get under it. I don't care. Just get on the other side of it. Because God's presence is there. And the number of times that I've majored on the minors and then missed the most major of all, the omnipotent one. You know, there's an old saying that, you know, you can, you can take a dime and you can block out a view of the mountains in front of you. Just get it close enough to your eye. It's the same thing. You get those issues, you get those concerns, you get those differences, you get those preferences, you get those opinions, you get those expectations, you get them close enough to your eyes, you won't see anything else. And you'll miss God in the process. When the very presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit is living within us. What? An indictment. And I'm just going to be honest. I've done this so many times in my life, so many times. I've gotten so consumed with some minuscule thing and then missed out on the eternal God. We have the presence of God if we're his children, if we are followers of Christ. And then finally, I'll be brief. You have the authority to be victorious over sin. Let me say this again. You have the authority to be victorious over sin. Look, at, look back at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... But if by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We have the authority to be victorious over sin. What does that mean? Does that mean whenever I start to sin, do I just stand up and yell and scream and say, Sin, you have no authority over me? Be gone? No, that's not what we're talking about. How, what, how, do, we, how do we do it then? Okay, well, let's, let's look in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 6. We know, I love that, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, listen to this, enslaved to sin. The, the old self is dead, and also we are no longer slaves to sin. We were once slaves to sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. That, that jail cell of sin that we've each been locked in, God has opened it. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. 
get this again. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Since we died with him, we'll live with him. He died and was resurrected. We too have died in Christ. So therefore we will spiritually live as well. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, here's the so that. Look at verse 11. You always need to so that. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin no longer enslaves us. Sin no longer has reign over us. Sin will no longer have dominion over us. How does that work? Well, he says one word twice here. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourself. That is the word that is used in the New Testament. And it's the word that is used for giving an offering in the temple. You are presenting an offering before God. That's the idea. So how do we have dominion over sin in our life? We daily present ourselves as a sacrificial offering to God. That's what we do. Now I know we say, well, wait, 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 wait. The Bible says that sacrificial system is over with. Yeah, the sacrificial system, in order to cover our sin, that's done with. But the Bible is clear. We are to sacrifice our lives daily to God. We present ourselves, our lives, to God as a sacrifice. Can I just tell you what you would never do in the Old Testament, New Testament? You wouldn't go to the temple and say, okay, here's my sacrifice. And you lay it on the altar and you back off and then you reach and you snatch it back off the altar. You wouldn't do that. You leave it. It's a willful decision. You leave it on the altar because you know that sacrifice, it's going to die. You you find this this idea mentioned in Mark chapter 8. This is what Jesus is talking about. Mark 8, 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, when we talk about this, oh, I have to just daily take up my cross. And we'll say things like this. Oh, this job, it's the, it's the cross I bear. Oh, this illness is a cross I bear. Oh, this situation with the family, it's just the cross I bear. Can I just tell you, when the disciples heard Jesus say this, they did not think, yeah. I know Jesus, this whole fisherman thing, I got to mend my nets and, you know, and there's, you know, and I'm wet all the time and I smell like fish, just the cross I bear. Can I just tell you, nobody then thought that Jesus was talking about bearing some daily burden. They all understood that because they had seen crucifixions. 
They understood Jesus was calling them not to bear some daily burden for him, no, but to die daily, to daily sacrifice themselves. Do you see how this is working out? The old you is dead. The habits of the old you keep living. Jesus has a life that he is living in us. And our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit is worshipped. And now we offer a sacrifice of ourselves for God. That's the idea. That's the thread that runs through the whole thing. We belong to Christ because Christ is in us. The old self is dead, and now we sacrifice the habits of who we used to be. We deny ourselves. We deny our flesh. We say, we say no to ourselves. How do we do that? By the power of God. You, you say no to sin and self and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to say no. Because that jail cell... When God unlocked that jail cell of sin and you were set free, he didn't lock that door back so that you couldn't get back in. Or are we saying, talking about losing salvation? No, because that door stays open. But you can go back in there and live like a prisoner. You can live like you're still enslaved. According to the Bible, you have the authority to be victorious over sin. How? We present ourselves as sacrifices. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We present ourselves to God. We don't need to do better. So many times we'll hear people say that. Well, I just need to do better in that area. You don't need to do better. You need to die better. You don't need to do more. You need to die more. It's not a matter of doing. It's a matter of being. It's a matter of who Christ is creating you to be. You know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with like WBJD. What, what would Jesus do? Can I ask a more pressing question? What is Jesus doing in us? We're not talking about just looking to Jesus as a good moral example to follow. No. The Jesus who lives within each of us, if we are followers of Christ, what is he doing now by his power in his children? When you understand this and you receive this and you know this and you live by this, can I just tell you, it will change everything. You no longer see yourself as you once did. You no longer see others as you once did. You no longer see God as you once did because of who we are in Christ. We must know who we are. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And God, there may be some here, there may, there may be some listening who would say, now I know what happens when I follow Christ I want to follow Christ and father I pray today would be the day they would say yes to Jesus that they would admit that they are sinners that their sin has separated them from you and that there's nothing they can do themselves in order to be made right and that they would they would believe they would believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ 
who lived a perfect life, fully God and fully human, who fully identified with us, except he was completely without sin, so that in him we could identify with you. And he identified with us by taking our sins upon himself and and bearing the wrath, your holy, righteous wrath, the wrath that we deserved on the cross for our sins, dying in our place, and then being buried and rose again on the third day, showing that that sacrifice was accepted by you. And if we, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and we confess that we are turning from our sins, we are repenting, we are turning from our sins and turning toward Jesus and believing we will be saved. Father, I pray that today would be the day that some would do just that. They would ask you for forgiveness and ask you to come and inhabit their lives so that Christ lives in them for you and you alone. And Father, I pray for all the followers of Christ here and listening now or later. Lord, so many of them, we, we can get burdened. We can get caught. We can get stuck. We can get, we can get mired in all sorts of sin and shame and guilt and worry and loneliness and despair. Father, I pray that today by your word that you might, you just might show the followers of Christ just how utterly free they are in him. Father, I pray you would transform us now. And I pray that we would understand the lives we lead. We do not live them for ourselves, but we live them for the one who died for us, Jesus. And that Jesus is life. And that if we have that life, then we can live for him because he lives through us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Knowing that you're the only one worthy of it all. And we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.